Welcome to episode 338 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, biohacker, author of What, When, Wine, and creator of the supplement line Avalon X. And I'm here with my co-host, Vanessa Spina, sports nutrition specialist, author of Keto Essentials, and creator of the Tone Breath Ketone Analyzer and Tone Lux Red Light Therapy Panels. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and ketogenicgirl.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment. To be featured on the show, email us your questions to questions at ifpodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. So pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine if it's that time and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right, we're talking pounds of meat for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door, and they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild-caught, their beef is 100% grass-fed and 100% grass-finished, their chicken is free-range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine. Way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say. Because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry. And their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner. And ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast 
to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash podcast with code podcast. I will put all this information in the show notes. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 338 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Vanessa Spina. Hello, everyone. How are you today, Vanessa? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm good. I have two book comments I would like to share. One, I finally started reading Peter Tia's book, Outlive. Have you read it? I haven't, but my husband's cousin was just here and she just finished reading it and she was saying she really liked it. I'm really enjoying it. It is very long. I'm reading it right now on Kindle. 
I actually just ordered it physically just to see visually how long it is because it's one of those books where I'm really enjoying reading it. I read every night while eating my one meal a day for like hours. I'll read it for like what feels like a really long time. And then I look down. I like to like read and not look at how much progress I've made and then look down and see like how much progress I've made. Like, do you ever do you use Kindle where it's like you've read 1%, 2%, 3%? I do. And it's hard for me. I much prefer to hold like an actual book. And I, I recently ordered one because I heard that it's really good you know, for reading in bed, which I'm doing a lot more of now than I have Luca. But yeah, it's, I much prefer like the physical sensation of like holding the book and turning the pages and like even the smell of the books I love. But I think the Kindle is, is interesting as well. And yeah, I guess you have to, you have to glance down at the percentage to see where you are. I read on my phone and the Kindle app. I do also really love physical books as well, though, just to comment on that. But I will read for like what seems like half an hour and then I'll look down. It's like hasn't moved. Like I'll, it'll still be like, I'll be like 10% and then I'll look, I'll be like, okay, now it's going to be 15% and then it's still 10%. So I'm actually really surprised the editors didn't cut it down a little bit, but I'm excited because the chapter I started last night is all about the discovery of rapamycin. The chapter of the title is chapter five, eat less live longer, question mark, and then the the science of hunger and health. So my favorite interviews of all time of Dr. Peter Atiyah's are the ones that he did on rapamycin, and I have all of them, like, saved and bookmarked, and I think it was last summer, I was going for, like, long walks, and I would listen over and over to them, and there was... So obviously he had David Sinclair on, but then he had this other scientist, I can't remember his name right now, who worked in the same lab as David Sinclair and was also working on like some really interesting discoveries. And like they were talking about a lot of like the differences in the rodent studies between like NMN and NAD and they're some of my favorite episodes and I just listened to them over and over again. So it sounds like I really need to read this book. I think you'll like it. It feels very personal. He, he weaves a lot of his personal story and life into it. It's, so it's very like narrative driven while also being, you know, about the science. I think you were saying that to me that you were surprised like how much of his himself he included in the book. Yeah, I think that was probably when I listened to an interview he did where he was talking about that and he was talking about how he shares like a really personal story at the end that I'm excited to get to. But yeah, he definitely really does. And so how do I interview this man is the question. (laughs) I'm taking so many notes. Someday, Peter, I promise I will not waste your time. I promise. I only need like 30 minutes. I promise. (laughs) So um, I actually have a document in my Evernote app and it's titled Peter Atia. And every time I hear like him say something that makes me think of a question I want to ask him, I write it in there. So I have like this ongoing list that I've had for months and months and months of things I want to ask him that are like very random and very specific. So someday. One day you will land it. I know. The other book. Okay. So this is a moment, Vanessa, where my mouth literally dropped open when I read this. And I am not going to say the name of the book or the authors because I don't want to say negative things about them, and I am going to be interviewing them. However, I would like to hear your thoughts about this concept. 
Are you ready? Yes. They're having a chapter on mental health and wellness and how it relates to physical health and wellness. And they said that today we live in a a society where we think our happiness is in like things and we need more things and we have a a scarcity mindset, not a mindset of abundance and how problematic that is, which I am like agree with so much, like so much. So they said in the next sentence, they said that an analogy of this mindset where we feel like we need to have more things to feel complete and feel whole and feel happy also happens with food because we have a scarcity mindset surrounding protein and that we think we need more protein and everybody's worried about not getting enough protein, but really that's a scarcity mindset and we need to realize we have plenty of protein already. Huh. <laughs> has he has has he or she heard of the nine essential amino acids that the body cannot synthesize? I think so. I think they think we get that enough that this protein fear is yeah that it's like a fear based scarcity mindset thing. Okay. Yeah. I mean the protein wars, like the diet wars and stuff. I just find it like so yawn, like I'm just so over it because what's interesting to me is so obviously my podcast is called Optimal Protein Podcast and I focus on optimal protein intake. For me, that means like not too little, not too much, optimal. And I think that like the levels of protein that I talk about, that you talk about, that a lot of guests that I have on my show who are protein scientists and actual experts on protein talk about they appear high in relation to what we have been taught is like the recommended daily amount. But most people don't know that those recommendations are based on outdated wartime rationing. So like rationing, wartime rationing is something that's put in place because like you're in a state of, you're literally in a state of scarcity <laughs> because you're at war. And so they were trying to figure out what's the minimum amount that we can get away with getting into our population for them to avoid disease and death. <laughs> so we're obviously not in that kind of scenario anymore, at least in like most of the world and Western world. We're not in a, you know, dire wartime situation. So the fact that we're still treating those minimal recommendations as the actual recommendations that are, should be considered optimal are the problem. So then when you look at an optimal protein intake, it seems like it's very high compared to that extremely low bar when like we're not actually talking about very high numbers. We're just talking about numbers that are perceived to be high because of that extremely low amount that we're still using for some reason, even though so many scientists have written letters, you know, showing like, this is the research. This is actually how much nitrogen we need to avoid like sarcopenic obesity <laughs> and it's way higher. But in relation to that low number, it seems like people always think like, oh, this is a high protein diet. And I have to use the word high protein sometimes to distinguish it from the low protein levels. But if everyone was using a better bar as like where we should be at, then it wouldn't actually seem high, if that makes sense. 
That's crazy. It's so interesting how like the foundation of these ideas and how hard and long it is to change them. Like once something becomes ingrained, it just like is. That's so true. And I really think that if you look at like the state of our metabolic health, like as a nation, and I'm considering all of North America, part of that, definitely parts of Europe as well. And even Asia now is starting to deal with these like metabolic crises. You know, when you have research showing like 88% of the population is not metabolically healthy, that's a problem. And I think that a big, big, big part of it is the protein question. It's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about it is like because of concepts like protein leverage, which explain why people are overeating because they're suppressing the protein intake that they need. And that once you prioritize protein and you get the protein that your body physiologically needs, then you don't overeat energy calories. And I I really think it's a huge part of solving obesity, metabolic syndrome, sarcopenic obesity, you know, epidemic that we're facing. And, you know, there's not really enough alarm (laughs) raised about it. Like so many people are dealing with the, the complications and the downstream repercussions of having poor metabolic health and it's killing a lot of people. And yet we don't really look at it as a crisis. Some of us do, but in general, like we, we kind of like minimize food and nutrition and lifestyle. And we also dismiss the connection between nutrition, lifestyle, and our metabolic health and our overall health. I agree so much. It's kind of like we were saying last show. I think if I think if everybody wore a CGM for two weeks, <laughs> go to nutrition.io slash IF podcast with the code IF podcast to get $30 off and focused on protein and ate just like real food, it would revolutionize everything. Yes. <sighs> Someday. <laughs> Someday. That's an interesting book. What was fascinating to me was I was just, I was like nodding my head. I was like, yes, like mindset of abundance, no scarcity mindset. And then they were like, protein. I was like, whoa. (laughs) I was not expecting that. (laughs) It was like twist ending. Yeah. It's, it's really funny sometimes too. when like you're reading a book about health and nutrition and suddenly there's all these like politics coming into it. And you're like, for me, I'm like, why is this in here? Like, why does it have to permeate everything? Like, why does everything have to be politicized? Like, okay, as an author, you may have certain views, but like, can we exist in like a space, you know, that's outside of politics and just talk about certain things without politicizing them? Like, sometimes that'll just like hit you out of left field and you're like, whoa, (laughs) that was like, that was a comment to drop. It kind of took me back. But yeah, yeah, that's, that's really funny and unexpected. So that'll be a a fun episode interview. I probably will bring it up. Knowing you, you'll challenge them and yeah, bring bring the questions we all want to hear. <laughs> nicely though. Yes, of course. Always nicely. <laughs> Anything new with you before we jump in? Anything new? I guess it's like we're kind of winding things down with summer. We just had our family visiting here for two weeks, which is absolutely amazing. All of like Luca's little cousins were here and we just spent two weeks just enjoying like really hot weather here going taking all the kids to like the pool and there's this amazing pool here 
it's actually on the riverbank and it's like this huge zone for kids and it's all just like these shallow pools with like waterfalls and like these slides that are waterfalls and there's fountains everywhere which are like my favorite thing and I was like I feel like I'm in Vegas right now like it was just like so nice so relaxing a huge highlight and we went to so many restaurants while they were here, which is fun because we don't usually do a ton of eating out. Like maybe we'll eat out once a week. Usually we cook most of our meals at home. So it's kind of fun though. Like when friends or people are are visiting or family and like you go and try new places. So we found this incredible new restaurant, a couple of them actually that we had never tried before. And there's so many amazing restaurants in Prague, but yeah, we found two that one specialized in duck, which is like a big food here. And it was like incredible. It was uh, mind-blowing. I actually haven't stopped thinking about it <laughs> since we were there on the weekend. And I really want to go back. And then we found this incredible brunch place, which is also near the river. So we had we had a really good time. Luca had so much fun with, with all his little cousins. So yeah, we're kind of winding things down, but just had a really wonderful visit. And we have some upcoming travel, which I'm excited about. We're going back to Greece in a couple of weeks back to our favorite spot there. And it'll be like kind of like a baby moon, but with Luca, like our last family trip, the three of us, just the three of us. So it'll be special. And a baby moon. Is that a phrase? Yeah. Baby moon usually means like when you go as a couple on a holiday before your baby comes, because it's your last time to be just the two of you. But this time it's like the last time to be just the three of us on a holiday together. And as excited as we are, you know, to welcome another baby, there's just something also that's been so special and magical about the last two years with Luca, just the three of us. So we just kind of want to celebrate that too. And I love being there at the beach and like getting up and going down to the beach with Luca for sunrise. It's like the best, <laughs> the best, just like being on the beach with him as the sun is coming up. And it's like, it's like those moments, you know, in life that you just live for. So those are the things I'm excited about. What about you? I did have a really fun time going to another escape room with my family. Have you done escape rooms? So I haven't. Pete took some of our nieces when they were here. And there's like a really funny story <laughs> from it. But yeah, they kind of freak me out. The thought of them kind of freak me out. The doors aren't actually locked. Okay. You can just, I mean, at least where we go, you can just walk out if you want. Kind of like that happened once. My <laughs> my mom was not about it and she like just left <laughs> the room. <laughs> that sounds like something I would do. I'd be like, yeah, no. <laughs> when, when she did that, there was this one moment where like they can see you and there's like a microphone and they can talk to you if they want. And so like something happened and like we felt like we were getting a sign from like the microphone. And I remember somebody, I think my sister was like, oh, it's mom. She's like watching. She's like giving us the sign. And we were like, yeah, she's watching. And then we walked out at the end. She was not watching. Like she was like, not about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um. I'm going to send you the picture. It's on Instagram. It's hysterical. We're all like smiling. We're like laughing. And then my mom is like, not. That was the Egyptian themed one. I always dress up. So that was Egyptian themed. Oh, that sounds amazing. Actually, I'm obsessed with Egyptian stuff. That would be amazing. So you and I could have dressed up. I dressed up like, like Cleopatra. That was my Halloween costume one year. Oh, I even bought the wig, but then I was like, no, I'm just going to be blonde. That's awesome. I love Egyptian culture. That's so cool. Oh my goodness. The one we just did was 
saloon themed. My mom did not attend this time. <laughs> and, um, I dressed up like a saloon girl. Everybody sort of had like hats or like something, but my brother didn't. So he was just quote in character the whole time. And it was like <laughs> the funniest thing. He was so funny. We had a, oh, and it was our first time not getting out, which was very sad. I've done like five of them and we did not escape. Oh no. I know. I know. It's okay though. Next time. That sounds fun though to do with your family. It, it was really, I, I highly recommend escape rooms as an activity for people. And here in Atlanta, at least there's so many different ones. So I also highly recommend if you can find one, if you are a fan of drinking, <laughs> the one we go to, they let us drink. So it just adds even more fun. But so, yeah. And then I also went to a, a fashion show. So that was, that was fun. Oh, that sounds really fun. I want to go to more fashion shows. I decided. But on that note, oh, and I will just do one quick plug. Listeners, get on my email list for my EMF blocking product line because that should be coming out soon. And that will be at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list. We're launching with air tubes. So it's so exciting. Shall we jump into some questions? Yes. That sounds great. Okay. So to start things off, we have a question from Jackie. She actually she actually has two questions. So let's do her first one first, which is, what are your thoughts on protein sparing modified fast, which is PSMF? Is it the best diet for fast and healthy weight loss? So I've talked about protein sparing modified fast a lot really focused in on them, like interviewed some experts on them on my podcast. And so this is kind of what I I tend to, my overall thoughts on them are in terms of like looking at the research and, and sort of comparing them to other approaches. So in the obesity research, protein-sparing modified fasts have been proven to be extremely effective for people, especially who are morbidly obese. They tend to be recommended actually for people who are preparing to go into major surgery, like even weight loss surgery, in order to help them lose weight before the surgery. And that's a situation where they're doing a protein-sparing modified fast every single day of the week and it's for a you know period of time and they're being you know monitored by a physician and the standard approach with it is usually for people to be consuming around 650 to 800 calories and it's mostly lean protein and the benefit of it is that you are really cutting out the energy macros as much as possible but you're still providing your body with enough protein so that you protect your lean body mass. So I would say that when you compare it, for example, to like a water fast, which some people do for weight loss, for fat loss, a protein spraying modified fast, in my opinion, is a dominant alternative to water fasting because you're protecting your lean body mass and you could stand to lose some lean body mass and muscle tissue if you're just doing water fasting. I don't like protein. I don't like fasting in general, water fasting for fat loss. I like it for autophagy, 
cellar rejuvenation, immunity reset, you know, doing that, say one, two, three, four times a year. But I don't like it when I see people doing it like for protracted periods of time in order to get down to a certain weight, because I think that you do compromise some lean body mass, especially if you're over the age of 40, it's really not recommended because it's much harder to retain and gain lean body mass because your hormone levels start to go down, you know, even after the age of 30. So I think it depends like what you're comparing it to. Now, what I have seen be effective for people and an approach that I personally like and have done myself and recommended actually to clients that I've worked with is doing one, two, or three days a week of a protein sparing modified fast. So you have like, for example, if you were doing caloric restriction where you're cutting your calories by about 25%, you could do that by cutting 25% of your calories every single day, or you could do it by sort of eating healthy like four days out of the week and then three days out of the week or two days out of the week, you do a protein sparing modified fast day. And so on those days, you just eat one or two meals of mostly lean protein. People approach it differently. Some people have like a little bit of fat with it, a little bit of carb. I think you're not supposed to go over 30 grams of fat typically and mostly be eating lean protein, but you don't want to go under 30 grams of fat. And it's it's actually hard to do that unless you're doing like just whey protein isolate or something because most proteins have a little bit of fat in them. So I have seen that be effective for people who are, you know, stuck in a stall, especially if they are, you know, just wanting to do it for like two to three weeks. I wouldn't say it's necessarily like the best diet for fast and healthy weight loss because I personally think that if someone's losing more than two pounds a week, some of that is lean mass, is lean body mass. So you don't, you really want to protect your lean body mass, especially when you're doing fat loss. And that's when high protein diets really, really shine is whenever you're doing any kind of fat loss or weight loss protocol. And I think that the average person can probably do a couple of days a week with it if they want to break a stall, but don't do it for too long of a time. And if you are in the situation where you're obese or morbidly obese and you want to approach it every single day, I think it's a better alternative to water fasting, but you should be working with a doctor usually who can help, you know, supervise or has some experience with protein sparing modified fasting. Hi friends. I'm about to tell you how to get 20% off one of the best things you could ever feed your pet. I'm also going to tell you how to get free, healthy, delicious, nutritious dog food. So we talk a lot about health on this podcast. And if you're like a lot of our audience, you probably think a lot about the food that you put in your mouth and how it affects your health. And yet how many of us think about what we're feeding our pets? Honestly, it is shocking the ingredients in conventional pet food. It's no wonder we see so many of the diseases that humans experience in our dogs and cats. A lot of it goes back to what they're eating. Processed conventional pet food is full of sugar, advanced glycation end products, and a myriad of toxins. 
So would you like to change that and start feeding your pet healthy, delicious, nutritious food that they will adore and that will support their health? You have got to try Yummers. It was founded by my dear friend, Rebecca Rudish. She's a pet industry expert and she founded it with celebrity duo, Anthony Porowski and Jonathan Van Ness. Together, they created an incredible company. They have both gourmet mix-ins and functional mix-ins that are flavor-packed and nutrient-rich meal additions that offer an accessible solution to enriching the everyday lives of our pets. So those gourmet and functional mix-ins are a great way to easily upgrade what you're already feeding your pet to help them enjoy the food more and to truly support their health. And friends, I have seen pets respond to yummers. It's kind of crazy. I kept getting texts from my mom and sister talking about just how excited my sister's cat, Jackie, and my mom's dog, Mia, were about yummers. Our assistant on the show, Sharon, she sent me a video of her dog, Tilly, getting excited about yummers. And that dog is freaking out. She is so excited. And I asked Sharon, I was like, does she normally do that? And Sharon was like, no. In other words, pets adore yummers and it is so nutritious and delicious for them. And I'm super excited because yummers recently released dog food. And I'm gonna tell you how to try it for free. So this is not your average bowl of uniform pellet-like kibble. So each ingredient is actually processed separately from one another to maximize flavor and nutrition value. And Yummers uses premium grade animal proteins, real fruits and veggies, and gently processed whole grains to lock in all of the benefits of raw food while giving pet parents accessibility and ease of mind. It's the difference between feed and food. You can get 20% off your purchase at yummerspets.com slash ifpodcast with the coupon code ifpodcast20. That's yummerspets.com, Y-U-M-M-E-R-S-P-E-T-S.com slash ifpodcast with the coupon code ifpodcast20. And on the site, you can select your favorite recipe of Yummer's new dog food to receive a free sample. Yes, completely free. For that, just go to yummerspets.com slash ifpodcast, and we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. What are your thoughts on protein serving modified fasting? Yeah, I have really similar thoughts. And for listeners who aren't familiar, I mean, there are quite a few Facebook groups, like PSMF Facebook groups, and they're like a place. (laughs) Like, they are a place. Really? I had no idea. Oh, Yes. Oh, yes. There's like two really, really big ones because I was always really fascinated with PSMF for the reasons that Jackie said and things you touched on, like this idea of basically being similar to fasting in regards to the potential for the weight loss and the metabolic effects, but also providing enough protein to hopefully at least maintain your muscle, even though I know you were talking about there's the potential for muscle loss there. But the Facebook groups that people are in, it's like all, all these recipes. I mean, there's like the recipe rabbit hole of PSMF is a lot. I think Maria Emmerich even has a book of recipes for PSMF, I believe. She does. And they also recommend it two to three days a week. Okay. She does. Okay. Although the drama in those groups, it's interesting, like, because there's a few, like I said, few groups with a lot of people and they don't like Maria's approach. And I'm not quite sure why, but it's like, that's like a whole thing. But in any case, to get to the actual question and my personal thoughts, I do think, I remember, I think Gary Topps talks about this in one of his books. I think in his, the newer book that he released, he talks about how they, I don't want to get it wrong. I think there was like a situation where they were doing some sort of experiment and they just so happened to use PSMF as the 
they weren't doing it to test PSMF. They were using it as like a control or a comparison or something. The effects they found were incredible as far as like weight loss and the maintenance of muscle. I do think as far as the question about like fast and healthy, if your goal, so people like, and this kind of ties into her next question as well. People often want to lose weight really fast. And I I see this all the time and they want to do PSMF or they want to do what her next question about, which is HCG, which actually maybe I'll go ahead and read her next question because I'll tie it all into this. Because her next question is, what are your thoughts on HCG? Could it be the fastest, healthiest way to lose weight? So people are always looking for this magic bullet to be the fastest, healthiest way to lose weight. And they'll try things like these things. I do think they're very effective. So I actually do think, well, HCG I'll talk about, but for PSMF, I do think, say you, you're like on a crunch, you have like a wedding, you really want to lean out and you have like two weeks, PSMF might work for you and you'll probably see benefits. And studies have shown that because often we're taught or there's this idea that you need to approach weight loss slow and steady. So you need to like just make a tiny change and cut out like a little bit of calories every day and then you'll lose the weight. People get a little bit fatigued by the thought of chronic dieting for a long time, which is why I just love intermittent fasting, which is a whole nother option and solution entirely. There's been really interesting studies that have shown that doing a quote extreme diet for a short amount of time can actually be very effective because people can stick to it short term and they're motivated and that can be easier for people. And again, it depends on your mindset and how you approach things, but that for some people can be easier than the longer, slower approach. So I'm actually all fine with a smart approach that's PSMF inclusive for a short-term goal. It's not meant to be for life. Like people are in, are in these PSMF groups and they're there for like years. And it's like, I don't think you should, I, it's like the purpose of this was not to be here for years. So all of that to say, I do think it's great because it support because it is high protein. It is severely calorie restricted. You will get the weight loss. I don't think it's a long-term solution. And I think for most people, assuming you don't have like a two-week goal for something, I would just jump into intermittent fasting. And actually, I was just having an email conversation yesterday with somebody who was going to do HCG. And she was saying that she was going to do intermittent. She wanted to do HCG now. And she's like on the yo-yo dieting train that she's been on for years. And then she was saying that she's interested in intermittent fasting and she's going to bring that in for maintenance after she loses the weight. And my initial thought is I just want to say, or you could just do intermittent fasting now. Like that could be the path to weight loss and the path to maintenance. And you don't have to include this really intense thing in the beginning, just because I think when people find the fasting window that works for them, that can work so, so well. And then we don't have the issues with the potential muscle loss because, you know, you you can get adequate protein. Another option to consider, you could do kind of a hybrid PSMF approach. This is what I would do back when I played around with PSMF, which was I would basically eat PSMF foods, but I wouldn't restrict the calories. It, It also worked really well. Then I didn't feel restricted at all. And I did it in an intermittent fasting pattern. So basically what I did was I would say I'm doing this PSMF for like two weeks. I would do like a one meal a day situation still, but I would 
only eat PS in my food. So it was basically like just lean protein and I wouldn't calorie count. And I found that to be really effective. I got to have like tons of protein. And then I also still had the severe calorie restriction from it and the protective mechanisms of the fasted period. Because with normal PSMF, you're eating, you are eating still like two or three meals. So I think there is something protective to entering into a full, like full-blown fasted state. That's a little bit controversial, but those are my thoughts on that. And then with the HCG, I definitely went down that rabbit hole in college. I did the um, the drops. Have you ever done HCG? No, I've only heard really bad things about it. Like that it it really tanks people's metabolism because it's like 500 calories a day. I'm not sure what the macros are like, but I've I've heard that people really can dig themselves like into pretty deep holes, like metabolically, because then the metabolism like slows so much that it's really hard to not regain weight after. But that's about all that I know of it. Yeah. What's interesting about it. So you can't even get it anymore. Now it's been, I mean, you probably can, but it got cracked down on. I think it's banned now. Technically. I know there was some change that happened with it. It's a, it's human. What does it stand for? I think it's like human gonadotropin, like it's a hormone that you get when you're pregnant. Yes, human chorionic gonadotropin hormone, and it's produced during pregnancy. And the theory behind it is that it tells your body that it's pregnant. That's like what it's telling the body. So when you go into this severe calorie restriction mode, the body's like must protect the baby and like willingly burns fat rather than entering quote starvation mode. That's the theory. I went down the rabbit hole back in the day looking for clinical studies on it and there aren't really, I couldn't barely find anything. I think I found like a few. There's not good literature to back it up is the point. I think what it boils down to, because you said you didn't know the macros, the interesting thing is a lot, it does end up sort of resembling protein sparing modified fast because the recommendations are basically very similar to that as far as like lean protein. So I think it works because it's such a severe calorie restriction. I would not put it in the healthy category and I'd be really concerned about it, especially with the effect on people's hormones, like you were saying. I think I think it definitely, maybe the hormone is doing something. I think it also has a even if the hormone is doing something, it probably also has the placebo effect, which can be a real thing. But because you're like taking these drops or doing this, these injections, it has like a physical thing that you're doing with it that really, I think, makes people stick to it more and feel like it's doing something, which could be having an effect just, you know, from, from their mind. I do remember when I tried it in college because I was like on the fence as to whether those drops were even real or like could do anything. But what, what was interesting was I started taking the drops and I actually, it actually like changed my cycle. And I was like, oh, like it came like earlier or something. And I was like, oh, maybe I guess there is something hormonal probably going on in here. But yes, I do not what sort suggest going the HCG route. Any other comments about it? Yeah, I definitely don't think I, I'd have to look at the macros. It would be interesting if it was really similar to protein spring modified fast, like it was mostly lean protein, but the injection thing is like kind of creepy. <laughs> and I, I, I don't mean, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of listeners who've, who've tried it like you do. And I, I don't mean any offense by it. I just mean the concept of it is like a little bit, 
little bit strange. I think anytime people are injecting things like in their body, like people are doing with Ozempic now, it's, it's a little bit scary. You know, they've, there's a lot of physicians out there who think it's great. It's a great tool. And then now they're finding all these people have major issues with their digestion because it basically like paralyzes your stomach. So they found all these people who've been taking like these kind of semi-glutide drugs like Ozempic and there's a couple other names. They Their stomachs were paralyzed. So they had like just all this food in their stomach. That's literally my worst fear. And I'm not kidding when I say that. Like that's what I'm in therapy for. It's like <laughs> when I started reading about some of them, I was like, yeah, I was like physically ill from like reading what was happening. And of course it's going to have bad side effects like that. You know, it's not affecting everyone who's taking it, but you know, shortcuts are always going to come at some kind of cost. Like it's, it's never like free. It's like, yeah, you could just, you know, stop eating for a year. Like that one guy did, he was morbidly obese. So most of his weight that was lost was, was fat. Cause he was like almost 400 pounds. Right. But I think like people who take shortcuts will inevitably have to, to pay in some way. Like, and and one of the worst things you can do, I think, is like really down down regulate or slow down your metabolism, because the you know weight loss people forget is like two parts. It's like the fat loss period, and then the maintenance period. So successful weight loss is both sides to it. It's like losing it and then keeping it off. So you know if you lose it and then you regain it, and your body composition is worse because you've lost fat and muscle and now you've just gained fat back, you're better off never even doing that in the first place, right? So I'm very wary of things that are like a gimmick. So again, no offense to anyone who's done it in the past. I'm not sure what your results were. Most of the people I hear from are unhappy with their results over time from doing it and and the after effects on their metabolic rate. So if you're comparing, for example, protein spraying modified fast with HCG, I would definitely opt for the first, for the protein sparing modified fast. If it needs to be doctor supervised, like if you're doing it every day, or if you're doing it like two, three days a week and then eating at maintenance calories the other days, then you're going to offset that slowdown in the metabolic rate in a couple of ways because you're going to maintain lean mass. And you're also not going to be doing that like extreme caloric deficit every single day, which can slow your metabolic rate down. Yeah. Like I said, I love just having, not for me right now, but for people, you know, if they're doing a daily intermittent fasting lifestyle already, having like a few quote PSMF days where the approach I did, like I said, was I didn't actually count the calories. I just ate PSMF foods that day. So it's basically a day of just lean protein. And I think that can, I think that like integrated into an otherwise, you know, intermittent fasting pattern where you are having more nutrition and, and the macros, those days of just protein, you can like support the muscle. The protein is very thermogenic and you can, you know, drop some, some weight. I like, I like that approach. Probably. That's probably what I would do if I wanted to speed up the weight loss with intermittent fasting. I've totally done the exact same thing. And, you know, I would just do that, like, you know, lean protein approach, but without worrying too much about like how much lean protein I'm getting and knowing that like having a little bit of like, you know, salad or greens with it is very low calorie. 
you know, and just like mostly keeping the fat to a minimum, but not like necessarily counting it. The other thing too is, you know, you get this like 20 to 30% thermogenic effect from the protein. So uh, it's a huge amount of those calories is actually being burned off. So even if you go above like the, they say like, I think, you know, certain people advocate like no more than 800 calories in the day of lean protein. But if you go above that, there's so much research showing people who eat more protein, lose more fat. And it's because you're, you have that amazing thermogenic effect. So I, I actually prefer that approach. And it's something that I've done myself when I wanted to cut a little bit of fat without like having to, you know, count up all the protein grams and like really worry too much about it, but just focus on like, I'm just going to eat lean proteins and avoid fat <laughs> and have some, some carbs with it if needed, some like low glycemic carbs. So, yeah, I've done the exact same thing. and We literally were doing the same thing. Yeah, way less stressful, right, than being like, did I get over 800 calories? Because it's self-regulating. Like you will, you'll only be able to eat so much lean protein before you're just like, you're done. I found that when I would do that in a one meal a day pattern, it worked really well because then you you really could eat all this really satiating lean protein in like a really big meal and not count the calories. And you probably won't even go that much over 800 anyways, even if you went crazy, if it's literally just the, the lean protein. And then it, like, like we just said, it's very supportive of the metabolism, that, that big, huge protein bolus. So shall we go on to our next question? Yes. So Tara from Facebook asked, what do you guys think of lectins for yourself and then for others? Okay. Lectins. So lectins became quite popular with Dr. Stephen Gundry with his book, The Plant Paradox. I've had him on the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast twice, I think. Have you had him on your show? Yes. And I remember one of our conversations, I think it was last summer, and we were talking about how we both initially had this impression that he was maybe a little gimmicky, <laughs> but then we met him and we were like, this person is a gem of a human. <laughs> and we both really like him. He is the definition of, because he comes off as, just because of all the, like, all, it's like the plant paradox, the longevity paradox, and like, don't eat the lectins. And like, he has a massive, you know, like press and image and he blew my expectations out of the water. He's very kind, very smart. And I had really great conversations with him. Same. So love that. So he did really popularize this idea of lectins. And so lectins, they are one of the the many types of anti-nutrients naturally found in plants. They are part of the plant's natural defense mechanism and they preferentially bind to carbohydrates or like carbohydrate type substrates. Although this is what's interesting. People think they're just in plants. They're in everything. <laughs> so animals make lectins, plants make lectins, bacteria make lectins, fungi make lectins. When you eat animal products, you actually are eating lectins, which kind of goes in the face of this idea that lectins are straight up, you know, bad. And so, like I said, the way they work is that they bind to these complex carbon, actually they're hydrocarbon complex structures. And the theory is that they, and this is actually, but this has been shown in vitro. So like in a cell, in a, in a lab situation, they can make red blood cells 
agglutinate. So basically like stick together. And so there's this idea that when we take in plant lectins, that they might be having a negative effect, like clumping up our blood and creating health issues. And then they also are very resistant to digestive enzymes. So they can interact with our intestinal cells and potentially increase gut permeability. And so that has been shown in vitro. So like putting lectins on intestinal cells can create intestinal permeability. That's been shown. What's interesting about all of this is that most of these studies are just in vitro, like I said, and then a lot of them are animals. There aren't really like a lot of human in vivo, so human studies looking at lectins and finding super intense negative effects. So some things to keep in mind, if you cook your food certain ways, it can dramatically reduce lectins. So for example, one study found, oh, where are they primarily found? So they are in all plants. They're all in all plants. Oh, you can get, and I do think they can be a problem for people. And you can get my app, Food Sense Guide, which is a comprehensive catalog of over 300 foods for 11 11 different compounds that might be problems for people. And it does include lectins. So you can like look up a food. So for example, Vanessa, pick a food. Hmm. Like any food. (laughs) Red bell peppers. So it is for lectins. It's high. It's like in the red. And I have a curiosity. So like for other things, it's low FODMAP, low gluten, low thiols, low oxalate, low sulfites, medium for glutamates, medium high for amines and histamine, and then high for lectins and salicylates. It is not AIP friendly and it is a nightshade. That's what you can learn from my app, Food Sense Guide, which you can get at melanieavalon.com slash Guide on the Apple store. That's an amazing app. Well, thank you. I really loved creating it. And friends, you might want to get it now. Like get it now because I want to update it substantially like substantially, like make it the app I always wanted it to be. And when I do that, I'm probably going to switch it to subscription, but I'm going to do, you know, some sort of, for people who already have it, I'm going to grandfather them in to some extent. So definitely get it now is my point because it's not very expensive and it's on the, in the Apple store and it's often in the top 10 for Apple food and drinks, which is just crazy to me. And I don't say that to brag. I say that because that just blows my mind. Like it just blows my mind. That is so cool and huge. Thank you. Okay. So like right now, for example, it's number 23 in the food and drinks charts. It plays around in the charts, which is precious. It feels like my little baby. So in any case, back to lectins. So I clearly do think they are, can be an issue for people. Oh, and you can learn about the compounds in the app as well, but cooking can substantially reduce lectins. One study found that boiling pulses for one hour at 95 degrees Celsius actually reduced the so it's, they don't say the lectins, but they, but they say the hemagglutinating activity. So basically what the lectins are doing between 94 to 100% from boiling. The plant types they're most high in typically are nuts, cereals, and seeds. Another study found that germination and fermentation can reduce lectins and cooking in general. And it, it makes sense that like there's a reason we cook our food. We like to think it's because it makes it taste really good, which it does, but a lot of it has to do with reducing these problematic plant compounds. So all of that is to say, so as for Dr. Gundry, he says that in his work, because he's a doctor and he's worked with a lot of people, and he he really believes that 
the lectins are the source of a lot of issues for people as far as like health conditions, autoimmune conditions, you know, people who can't lose weight. So he puts people on these. What's interesting is it's kind of posited as like a lectin-free diet, but like I just said, lectins are in everything. The reason I think his approach, because his approach works for a lot of people, his plant paradox approach, and he does have very easy to read guides to foods to eat and not to eat in his books. And I do recommend that if that's of interest to you. The reason I think it's probably working is because when you go onto his plan, it's sneakily switching you into eating like whole foods and cutting out processed foods. And it's also removing a lot of foods that I think are often inflammatory for people. Maybe it's the lectins, but maybe it's other things in those foods. So I think just naturally his diet works really well for a lot of people. So I, the lectins could be involved. They probably are involved to some extent. I don't know that they are the be-all, end-all reason that his diet works so well for a lot of people. I'll put a link in the show notes to a study that was really good about this. It's called Anti-Nutrients, Lectins, Goitrogens, Phytates, and Oxalates, Friends or Foe. I love when the when the clinical journals have like fun titles. And it's really recent. It was 2020, it was February 2022. And they talk all about this and their conclusion at the end. Oh, on top of that, to make things even further confusing. So some isolated compounds of lectins have actually been studied for their health benefits. <laughs> so some lectins might be anti-cancer. They have potentially anti-angiogenic, anti-metastatic, and anti-proliferative activity, both in vitro and in vivo for cancer. Some, some studies have looked at lectin compounds. This one was from a lectin-rich extract from mistletoe which makes me happy, mistletoe. But they found that it had anti-tumor properties. They've also looked at isolated compounds for diabetes. They found that some have anti-diabetic properties. And they've also looked at things for immunomodulatory potential in a good way in that they potentially can be antimicrobial, antibacterial, antifungal, antiviral. And this is also with isolated lectins. And again, this is more using lectins kind of like a drug in a way, like kind of a pharmacological approach to lectins. So the whole thing is very convoluted. I think the takeaway is that, and I'll I'll just tell you what the conclusion of this article says. They say that it can be observed that foods basically without culinary treatment can cause negative effects on human health. However, they say in the context of a regular diet, when they are consumed in a food matrix and with culinary treatment like germination, fermentation, or milling, they are found in reduced concentration or they are found in synergy with other compounds beneficial to health in the food. And so the negative effects are minimized. So translation in like whole foods cooked form with the other beneficial effects of foods and especially like fruits and vegetables that, you know, maybe it's not that much of an issue. Then they say purified molecules seem to have beneficial effects on some pathological conditions. They say there are issues because a lot of the studies are carried out in animal models and we're not sure how much that applies to humans. They also said that epidemiological studies show promising results, but the design makes it difficult to to discern if it's from the actual compounds or if it's from molecules in the entire matrix of the food. And then lastly, they say there are a few human clinical trials that evaluate these effects if future research is required. So basically, takeaway, intuitively, if you feel like you have sensitivities to certain foods, honor that, go with that. If you feel like you have a problem with lectins, 
you know, try a lectin-free diet. I'm totally fine with that. That's the primary reason I have an app, you know, partly for it. I do think, though, I don't want people to have food fear. And I do think when we cook our food, it can have a profound effect. And and I, I think it's hard to apply the theory of lectins to the context of, like, cooked vegetables and a whole foods diet. That is That was very long. Vanessa, what are your thoughts? Wow, that was amazing, so comprehensive. I really don't have much to add. The only thing that I would say is just like my personal experience with it is that I try to avoid a lot of foods that have lectins in them, mostly because of the research that I've seen on how they can act as an anti-nutrient and interfere with the absorption of other nutrients. And so I personally, I think it's ever since I first like started carnivore many years ago, I kind of eliminated a lot of like superfluous, superfluous things from my diet. <laughs> so I just stuck with like, okay, what's the most nutrient dense food for me that often looks like animal protein, high quality protein, a lot of eggs, a lot of berries, low glycemic fruit. That's mostly what I eat and some like salad. And I have the occasional like veggies that I have are mostly salad. I am like very sensitive to nightshades, especially peppers, which is why I asked you about blood peppers. And I had ha- done this experiment many times. And every time I do it, the same thing happens. Every time I have a lot of cooked bell peppers, even though they're cooked, actually it's worse for me when they're cooked for some reason. And I know they're nightshades, they're not lectins. So I know we're talking about two different things. It did say they were high in lectins too. Oh, okay. Well, anytime I eat peppers, I wake up the next day with like extremely sore back. Like I can feel it from the moment I wake up. And for me, it's really unusual because I don't have any pain in my body on most days. I would say 99% of the time, I don't have pain in my body at all. So when I do wake up with pain, I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I have? And it actually happened two weeks ago. And I was like, I cooked all those red and yellow bell peppers and I grilled them in the oven. And I just, you know, sometimes you just forget. And I'm like, I haven't had bell peppers in a while. Let's, you know, have some, or I'll make things for Pete and Luca. And then I end up having some. And I repeated the experiment the night before last and woke up again with like so much pain in my back and it's gone within usually 24 hours, thankfully. So I don't know, it's maybe it's like the nightshades plus the lectins, but that's maybe the only lectin food that I have. So I would say it depends on how sensitive you are as an individual. You know, you can test different things and see, especially if you do an elimination diet, like carnivore for a few weeks and then reintroduce foods. It's a great way to figure out what you may be sensitive to. Like I learned that cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, for the most part, like bloats me (laughs) really bad. And then when I cut those foods out, I didn't have to deal with bloating anymore. So for me, learning that the most nutrient dense foods are more so like proteins and organ meats and things like, you know, low glycemic berries and like those kinds of things and like cucumber (laughs) we eat very similarly too which is really funny because we both like research so much on food and I think that to me those things are just unnecessary but 
not everyone is like me. And if you like having a lot of foods that have lectins in them, like, you know, just test different things and see how does it actually make you feel in your body when you go a long period of time, or even like two, three weeks without it, and then test it, test one food at a time and see if you notice, like, do you notice any pain? Do you notice any inflammation? Do you notice any like bloating or any uncomfortable symptoms? And I just think everyone should do an elimination diet at some point and then just like reintroduce different foods. And then you learn so much about how your body responds to different foods. It's very similar to wearing a NutriSense CGM because you also learn about how your blood sugar responds to food, which is like kind of slightly different response to food. You know, so it's, it's, yeah, I think it's invaluable information and people have bio-individuality and they do have different responses to things. So like you may be able to eat tons of bell peppers, tons of nightshades, tons of lectins and have no reaction whatsoever. So in that case, I would just caution against like cutting out foods that you don't need to if they have no effect on you. But the final caveat there is that there is research showing that they can act as anti-nutrients and interfere with the absorption of, of other foods. There's like a really popular one where I think oysters, the lectins interfered with the absorption of the zinc when they were consumed at the same time. I think one strategy would be to like, if you're eating a really nutrient dense food, like organ meats or oysters or something like that, just don't eat them with lectins. Maybe that could help as well. So, but you answered the question so comprehensively. (laughs) I'm just like throwing in a little bit of personal experience here and, and sort of what I've, I've personally done. And I just not someone who feels the need to have that much variety in my diet, but some people find that limiting. So I completely understand that perspective as well. No, that was so, so wonderful. And it's interesting. So, cause now I'm just looking through my, my app more and with the nightshades, I, I have the exact same experience. Like I don't normally have any pain in my body. Really? Mm-hmm. And then on the few times when I've like tried something like that, I wake up the next day and it's like, whoa, like I did an experiment where I tried white potatoes and I woke up the next day and I felt like I got hit by a bus. I was like, oh, and they're they're a nightshade. Yeah, it's like eggplant, peppers, potatoes. I love eggplant. It's like maybe my favorite vegetable, but I don't consume it that often. Like it's one of the foods that I consume a lot when we're in Greece. And it doesn't seem to bother me there. And I, I think it might be one of those things too with like, you know, the buckets, like how full your bucket is. For some reason, I'm okay with eggplant. So maybe it is a lectins thing, but it's it's really interesting how you can be more sensitive to certain ones or how amazing is it to notice that? Because what if like you just lived your whole life with like some kind of pain in your body that you didn't need to have? And I learned that from gluten. Like I was having pain that was so severe that I would be doubled over and I cut out gluten and within two weeks, the pain disappeared completely from my life. So I could have continued living that way if I hadn't have gotten that knowledge and information about gluten. And the same thing with like the back pain. I could just be one of those people who's like, I just have back pain. My dad had back pain. <laughs> I know. Sorry. I'm like, cause my mom, like my mom always has chronic pain. I'm just like, if she just tried, if she just, I mean, I don't, and you know, maybe not, but she always would say, she always says like, it's genetics. Like 
I was born with it. I'm like, oh, if you just tried, if you just tried, it might blow your mind. Yep. You kind of know it's never going to happen also. Just as a, uh, for people who have the app, because there's a lot of like little treasures in the app, I think people don't quite realize. So if you go to um, like compound info, then you can look at the compounds and learn about them. And then you can see a list where you click like foods high in it. So like, for example, for nightshades, the nightshades in my app are eggplant, goji berries, tomato juice, paprika, bell, sweet pepper, white potato, and tomato. And then it was funny. I was looking up meat. I was trying to see like beef, for example. Every Literally everything is green except for glutamates. But there's like so little that people potentially react to compared to like, you know, the bell pepper we did where there was a lot. It's definitely very individual. And that's the last thing I just want to say. That's such a good th- point that you just brought up. It's the same for like foods with oxalates. You know, people who have kidney stones, a lot of times they don't realize it could be connected to oxalates. And my rule of thumb with things like this is don't go out and cut out every single food that has oxalates in it. Just look up the list and cut out like the top five. Because like with oxalates, if you look at the top five, they have like a thousand times more than some of the other ones, right? So if you, it's just the same as I know you always talk about with like mercury in the the fish. Like there's some fish, I think there's four or five of them, especially that have like such high amounts in them that if you just avoid those, you're probably fine consuming all the other fish like at a moderate level, right? Whereas like, you know, there's definitely foods I know with oxalates that there's some of them that are off the charts high in them. Yeah. Spinach is really high. Yeah, exactly. I never eat spinach. And I'm always telling, you know, there's a couple of people I know who have issues with like kidney stones all the time and like bladder issues. And I'm like, you got to look up what oxalates look like under the microscope. They're like these pointy shards (laughs) and they bind with calcium and they create kidney stones and, and other urinary issues. And I'm like, you you know, just avoid the foods that have the four or five ones that have the most density of them. And, you know, I think that's what I did in the past, you know, definitely with like oxalates, lectins. Now I want to go back and look at nightshades and compare like, because of peppers, if they have nightshades and lectins, maybe it's like a lot more density of those than the other ones. But yeah, (laughs) it's just one last point there. It was like, you don't have to cut out everything, just cut out the most dense ones. And then you'll probably be fine just having the rest in like limited amount. No, I'm so glad you brought that up. And and oxalates are in the app as well. I'll send it to you. I can't believe I haven't downloaded it. I've heard you talk about it before. And I always thought, what an amazing idea for an app. That sounds incredible. So yeah, I'm definitely going to download it and and do some digging. And it'll probably help me understand why why it's the peppers and like, for example, not the eggplant. It's super helpful. And that, that's a feature I do want to add. Like when I talk about optimizing it, I want to add some AI to it that will help people. People could like put in the foods they're eating and then it'll look for the trends. So that's on the to-do list. Oh, and just one last quick note. Some people say with carnivore that they think some of the detox or negative effects people might have in the beginning is like dumping oxalates. But they have like oxalates built up and then they cut them all out and then they basically start eliminating them and it's 
you know, they're coming out of the tissues. And I actually interviewed on the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast, Sally Norton, and we did a whole episode on oxalates, which blew my mind. Same. They're scary when you hear what they are. They're like spiky. They're like spiky little things. Like shards. They're like shards of glass. If you look up the photos of what they look like under a microscope, it's crazy. And it completely makes sense. And when you hear Sally Norton talking about it, you're just like, oh my gosh, why is this not more known and accepted? Because a a lot of people deal with things like kidney stones and and other issues that are related to it. And it, it seems like there's definitely research on it. And there's like one case I think she always talk about where talks about where this one guy died. Yeah, he died from having like pea soup or something at a restaurant because it was so high in oxalate. So again, it's those few foods that are extremely concentrated in them that you want to avoid. But it doesn't mean you should avoid all of them unless you have some kind of like condition or, you know, health issue where you're you're extremely sensitive to to all of those, you know, various compounds. Craziness. So again, <laughs> melanieavalon.com slash food sense guide just might help you a little bit. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you would like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. These show notes will have links to everything that we talked about as well as a full transcript. That will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 338. And then you can follow us on Instagram. We are I have podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon and Vanessa is ketogenic girl. Okay. I think that is all of the things. Anything from you, Vanessa, before we go? Another super fun episode with you. I love your amazing questions. Keep them coming and we'll keep the episodes coming because uh, we're having a blast. And yeah, I can't wait to record the next one with you. I know. I just have so much fun. They're like just so fun. So, all right. Well, I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Talk to you next week, Molly. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.